Hi guys, Candace here. So glad to get to spend a little bit of time with you today on The Good Day. Here, we'll focus on finding grace in our ordinary days. We'll learn good days don't just happen. And even more, a good life doesn't just happen. There's a choice involved. Join me as we learn how to develop the discipline and cultivate a heart that seeks strength, joy, and peace and finds rest in the good day, one day at a time. So today we have Terry Fakes joining us, and I am fortunate to get to learn from him regularly as he serves as the executive pastor at my home church, Crossings Community Church in Oklahoma City. And those who know him know that he loves the Lord. He's a map aficionado, and he's also a really big fan of his new grandchildren. And so, Terry, we are just so glad that you're here. And um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you like to do, what you've been thinking about, just so everyone can get to know you. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you, Candice. It's a pleasure to join you here, all your listeners. And I'm really a fan of the ministry work, by the way, that you do at at Crossings. I don't know if everyone realizes how much you are involved with young adults, but also with our youth. So thank you very much. You're really pouring into the youth of this congregation. Well, maybe the shortest way to talk about myself is, for those who don't know much uh, about me, is, let's see, professionally. So I'm, my degrees are in mathematics and biblical languages. So I have a master's in mathematics, and uh, then I studied Greek and Hebrew and Latin in college. And uh, when I came out of college, I worked in IT. So the first half of my business career was in information technology, various, various things, a lot of coding um, networks, etc. About halfway through my business career, uh, made a move, which is an interesting God story, but made a move. And you have to remember, at this point, I've got a pocket pen protector. I've got white socks. I'm just a total <laughs> computer nerd. I am an introvert by nature. I hated it, large groups of people, and I love my computers. And so that guy got transformed because I moved to the sales organization, a large, large company, what's now AT&T, but at that time was SBC Communications. And I began to learn the skill of selling, became successful at that, and spent most of the second half of my career as a sales vice president over national accounts, various areas, ran very large organizations, and had big uh, financial commitments to the corporation. So I was very fortunate to learn how to, to work in an executive level. So that was the second half of my career. Then third career was uh, 16 years ago. I was not unhappy where I was, but uh, Marty Grubbs at Crossings had approached me several times about potentially coming to Crossings and made the mistake of saying that I would pray about that. And so, of course, I had to, and I did. And, and short again, a short version of the story is that God really opened a lot of doors, which would have taken God to do because we had just bought AT&T. And so my organization was expanding and I was able to wrangle an early out, but uh, largely because my boss realized this is what I felt like God wanted me to do. It had never been my desire to work at a church. Uh, I was going to continue my business career and at some point do a teaching ministry because by that time I had uh, gone uh, away from my introvert ways and I started teaching a little bit. And so I decided that's what I would do, but God had other ideas. And so what Crossings needed at the time, and Marty Grubb's a very visionary guy, uh, I, I had a lot of business background. So we needed management and we needed teaching. And God seems to have prepared me for that. 
which I know that's not the subject of this podcast, but I will plug this and say, if you're wanting to know what your destiny is, a lot of times what God's plan for you is and can be seen based on what he has prepared you to do. So I didn't have any great desire to work at a church. I wasn't against it. This is a great church. Just wasn't what I wanted to do. But as my wife and I prayed about it, I realized, well, actually, I've been prepared to do the very things that they need. So sometimes calling is nothing more, in my view, than God's preparation meeting a need. And so that's the way it was for me. So I felt like, well, he's prepared me. Here's a need. And so I made that move. So my third career has been that of a pastor, and I've had to learn that skill as well. Spiritually, I didn't become a Christian till late, late teens, and I had already explored pretty much everything except Christianity by that time. So I'm a latecomer to the faith, but I was very fortunate to that God was gracious and kind of kept after me when I was chasing other things. So I'll stop there, but that's kind of my business background and a little bit of my faith story. Yeah. No, it's so interesting. I laugh because when you say IT, that's where I am now. I work for a mm-hmm. software company and I actually work in IT as a project manager, but it cracks me up to say IT to people because I am not like your IT girl at all. Like I <laughs> teach kindergarten, so I love to teach, so I'm with you on that. And then when something's wrong, like I'm usually the one that's calling for help. It's like, have you turned it on? Have you turned it off? Try it again. Like, <laughs> very basic things so it's uh, uh-huh. I always have to let people know I'm not really IT I <laughs> right so different but yes but I love well what you do is important because generally the techies the coders etc really need an interpreter with the outside yeah. world and so you need someone that's bilingual like you <laughs> yes yes you have to very much communication based in what I exactly do. yeah no that's really fun well I do have to ask because I know that you love maps. Knowing your background in the math and IT and all of that and the biblical language, that's fascinating. So, like even as a kid, were you intrigued with maps or, you know, when did that kind of start or develop for you? That's a good question because at crossings, I can no longer teach without a map. And yeah. I, I created that myself. But my interest back through my business years was I read widely and I just have a lot of interests. And so I'm very interested in politics, biography, history, archaeology, uh, anything technical, whether it's mathematics or it's genetics or whatever. I just have a wide ranging interest. So I read a lot. But when you read a lot of history, you realize that having a visual perspective maps of, you know, the ancient world or maps of the 18th century France, you know, whatever it is you're reading about at that time are very helpful. So at some point in my teaching career, I just took that because my goal is if you want to understand my ministry, it's really very simple. I want to make the Bible come alive for people Mm -hmm. so they can see the vitality that is there. It's not in me. It's in the word. I just want them to see the vitality of the word. And so I'm big on context. And so I weave a lot of archaeology and history and politics and economics into the biblical story so that it comes alive and maps are one way to do that. But I may have created a monster with the map. <laughs> uh, no, it's great because it brings so much context. And it's cool to even say what you were speaking of before, just how it's pre- God prepares you for the calling exactly. he has. And now you get to serve, even host a podcast with your son. So we speak. So you uh-huh. want to a little bit about that too? Yeah, it's interesting. That's really Cole's project to uh, start a media company for a very specific purpose. 
the idea is to help people think Christianly and to be uh, informed by, on what's going on in the world without being conformed to the world. So thinking Christianly, and of course the phrase so we speak appears twice in the New Testament, uh, but in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says basically, we've been entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God. And so it was a great idea of his and got a lot of writers in the blog. He has, uh, we've had a lot of donors supported. It's completely donor supported. We don't have to charge for anything. We don't have to have a paywall. And the podcast is one of those things. So thanks for highlighting that. It's just a way to try to help people interact with current events and ideas in a Christian way. How do we think about those things? So a lot of kind of what you're doing in that, in the sense that, and we need more of this, and that is how do I translate what I believe into the particular circumstances of my life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's really what I want to talk today more about too, because not that long ago you were speaking to the Sunday school class about mm -hmm. And you really came from it from the angle of how important what we think is for our emotions and leading our emotions. After you shared that, the days that followed, I had opportunities to get to practice this. And before, I would never really characterize myself as an anxious person. I think right. now thinking like anxious sounds like a big word for like big problems. Mm -hmm. And little things, just very small like pinpricks just started kind of getting under my skin a little bit and keeping me up at night and that's right. just what it was I was anxious you know and so being able to label it but then the words that God gave you really helped me experience some personal breakthrough that night and even the days that followed and just learning to lead my emotions with my thoughts and so I wanted to talk to about that more today just because I know many are listening and they have a lot on their minds they right up at night or they can't even focus at work or even having like the stomach issues that come with mm -hmm. all the anxious energy and so really wanted to help bring them to some breakthrough too wanted to hear just a little bit more about your story and you know you said in those early years you were researching a lot about the other religions before you came to christ was it more the logical side that, you know, asking more questions at the beginning of your faith versus that camp high emotional side? And when did you see like the head and the heart really start to connect in your faith? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I tend to, people are oriented differently. I don't mean that in a deterministic sense yeah. in that personality profiling, whatever it may be, whether it's the big five personality profile or it's uh, the Enneagram, mm -hmm. are basically at their best trying to describe tendencies in one's personality. But my tendency is to approach things from a thoughtful way. It's just the way I'm wired. Other people tend to lead with their emotions and there are pros and cons to each. But for me, I was looking in my late teens for a way to make sense of life. I thought if I'm about to start this life, I really don't want to get to the end and go, well, that was a waste of time. And, you know, I wish I'd figured out what the whole point of this thing was before I got started. I thought, well, before I get started, I'll figure out the point of this. <laughs> so I read uh, and explored virtually all of Western philosophy. That, uh, seriously. I mean, I just really looked at a lot of different philosophies of life and they do a really good job of trying to solve some essential problems in life, problem of suffering, problem of anxiety, problems around, you know, the circumstances of life. 
But I didn't find any of them compelling in that they were at least consistent, but their presuppositions weren't, they weren't necessarily true. So I went to Eastern religions, became a practicing Buddhist for a couple of years and studied a lot of Eastern religion, which approaches it very differently. Uh, and it's not so much cognitive, so maybe a little more holistic approach. Nevertheless, at the end of that road, I realized while that was comforting, it was not true. And I wanted more than a happy pill, if you will. I wanted something more than just, well, uh, I'll believe in the fairy godmother because she makes me feel better. I know she's not real, but it makes me feel better. And I really wasn't content with that. I don't think most people are. They want to know that what they believe actually corresponds to reality. So in the end, I became convinced in my mind, which was going to have to happen for me because of the way I was wired. It had to start there, that Christianity was true. Christianity had evidentiary backing. It couldn't prove that God existed, but it made the most sense. And that as a mathematician, I understand there are many things you can't prove. We all believe in things. We all have faith in things that we cannot prove. No matter what someone tells you, however, quote, scientific they may be, we all believe in things that we cannot prove. And I didn't have a heartburn with that. I just wanted to know what's the best evidence. And once I reached that point, then my heart opened up. And so I don't believe you can be a Christian merely because you feel close to God, nor can you be a Christian merely because you know all the right doctrines. And so at that part, you know, once that was satisfied, the Holy Spirit kind of opened my heart and I had not only an intellectual response to God, but also an emotional response. And I think both are necessary. I just think sometimes it comes in a different order mm. from for different people. Yeah, it really does. And I see that even with the middle school girls that I get to spend time with. And there's some that they're leading with more of the emotional side. And so with the questions they ask, I see the light bulb turn on. Then also those that maybe have all the head knowledge. Maybe they went to a private school and they have a lot of head knowledge. But now I see some excitement right. building and their faith coming more alive. This head and the heart is not like an intersection in our faith. It's not a one-time event. We're right. continually growing more in that in the spiritual disciplines like prayer and worship and studying scripture, it's where I'm learning more about God, but I'm also feeling more too. And the more that I learn and the more I feel, the more I learn about the character of God, the more tangible it is for me. And I experience him more intimately and I feel him more. And that's where, like you said, like your faith becomes more alive. Have you experienced that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you think about Jesus talking about truth and grace, and he grew in truth and grace or truth and compassion. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we err on the side of one or the other, and we think of it as a balance. And I think that's maybe not the right way to think about it. I think instead of balancing like, well, I have more truth, you have more grace. You know, I have more doctrine, you have more compassion. I think that's unhelpful. I think we need to realize that we're all going to be a little different mix, but the point is it needs to come together inside each one of us because truth without grace is harsh. And grace and compassion without truth leads people astray. And, and neither of those are good. I think inside each one of our hearts, those two things have to come together. So, and, it, and in what manner they come together, which comes first is probably far less important than our head and our heart and our hands get aligned. Right. And a lot of times it's through the circumstances, you know, that. Right. That's exactly right. How we experience it. Cause I don't know, the more I read the Bible, the more I see that these circumstances are out of man's control. And it's a God who wants to be known. He wants to be trusted through them. I think maybe that's what Paul was talking about when he said that I've learned to be content in all 
circumstances and all situations. And so I'd be curious to learn from you, how would you define contentment? How do we become content in all things? That's a great question. That Greek word that is that we translate contentment has been a really special study of mine for several years, and not just in the Bible, but in extra biblical Greek literature as well. I like to know how that word is used and whether it goes all the way back four or 500 years before the Bible to some of the Greek philosophers. It's widely used as a word that essentially means self-sufficient but don't think self-sufficient in an individualistic Western way. What they meant by being self-sufficient simply meant, I am okay regardless of my circumstances, meaning self-sufficient as opposed to circumstances are going my way sufficient. And so this word, we translate contentment. I think that's a great translation, by the way. Happy would be a terrible translation because happiness is circumstantial. Mm-hmm. And happy, being up, being unhappy, being happy, very much is tied to our circumstances. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just what that word means. This word is basically, Paul is saying, I have learned to be okay regardless of my circumstances. In other words, my inside who I am is no longer dependent on my circumstances. That's really critical for something that you mentioned earlier, is America has an epidemic In fact, the whole Western world has an epidemic of generalized anxiety disorder. It's not that I have a panic attack and I can't leave the house today. I know that does happen to some people. But broadly speaking, most Americans suffer with the kind of anxiety that you were talking about. It's not debilitating, but I find myself with anxious thoughts and they're very much reaction to my circumstances. So I started thinking, Candice, about why are Christians not more content. And I didn't mean that in a critical way. I just simply asked the question because I saw that in myself as well. Why am I not more content like Paul? What is it that I have not yet learned? Because he said, I've learned to be content. The point I'd like to make is that we have to learn to disciple our emotions. When we come to Christ, he gives us a new mind. You know, Romans 12, 2, basically by the renewing of our mind. And he is going to, the spirit inside us is going to renew our emotional life as well. But our emotions need to be discipled as much as our thoughts are. We spend a lot of time discipling our brains. It's good. That's a very good thing to learn about Christ, to learn the doctrines. We don't spend as much time discipling our emotions. And sometimes our minds are dedicated to Christ, but our emotions are out there just reacting to circumstances like they always have. Does that resonate with you? Because uh, it did with me. It, it made me think, oh, well, this isn't something ultimately wrong with me. I'm just not discipling my emotions and bringing them to the point where they're no longer dependent on circumstances. Right. Well, and I think sometimes we can feel like we're the victim to our emotions. Like this is just how right. we feel. And I just have to deal with it. It doesn't mm-hmm. help that I'm a taskmaster thinking of all the things <laughs> I want to do, but you no, know, like I need to lead my emotions, choose how to think. And so, you know, there was one thing that you said too. It's like that those circumstances first evoke a emotional response. And so I think we have to identify that, but then also practically speaking, like what does that look like to overcome that initial emotional response to our circumstances? That's a great point. And and first thing is to recognize you will have 
an emotional response to most circumstances. And you don't typically have a thoughtful response. That is not the, that's not the way we're wired as bi- biological beings is events in the world tend to evoke some kind of chemical slash emotional response in us. That's normal. Don't beat yourself up about that annoying friend says something tacky and you feel a, a twinge of annoyance. Okay, well, welcome to the human race. So don't beat yourself up. The question now is, and the self-help books would say, okay, well, we need to control that. What I want to say is we just need to, to cooperate with the spirit to bring that into line so that the affections and emotions that we have reflect Christ as much as the thoughts. Because in that situation, for example, you probably will feel that twinge of frustration or resentment, but you know this is not Christ-like behavior to fire back or you know make that tweet that's really going to flame this person. You you restrain yourself, and so what I'm talking about is going a little beyond restraining and actually beginning to to shape your affections so that we feel the affections. You could have the same response to your friend, and you could have a response of sadness or compassion and say, we all have friends that are so needy that sometimes when they lash out, you've kind of gotten past the, gosh, I'm mad at you for saying that. And you've gotten, you've moved on a little and you've said, you know, I'm, I'm just sorry. I'm sad because I know that you're hurting and that's why you do this. And it doesn't make it okay, but notice how your emotional reaction changes just a little bit. That's what I mean is discipling it. You know, one of the ways that the people, the Christians that have gone before us reading both men and women, by the way, in the Middle Ages, who really focused on holiness, they talked about preaching to yourself. It's something my son Cole talks about a lot, too, and I'm a big fan of that, and that is take what you know to be true and preach it to your heart and remind your emotions that this is what we believe. I personally find that works really well with anxiety because worry and fear tends to be for me a reaction to a circumstance that hasn't happened. Yeah. It's a feared future circumstance. Yeah. And it's not even here yet. And I'm already going to go ahead and emotionally react to it. And I find a lot of times that my brain can then just talk to my emotions, so to speak, and say, listen, we both know that God works for good in every circumstance. We know that God is faithful. We know that, in other words, that's a way of preaching to my emotions. And I find that that's really helpful with anxiety. Yeah, goodness, everything you're saying. I am a perfectionist a tendency, so I have to uh-huh. keep track. And I, I've known that it's rooted in control, and I've just recently begun to realize that it's rooted in fear, too. And so right. whenever I do feel anxious, it's because I'm fearing something that hasn't happened. But that preaching to yourself, gosh, that's so true. But at the next day, after all those anxious thoughts, I just opened the notes on my phone and I just typed out the truth and the things that right. I'm believing and just repeating it and reading it throughout the day to just the practical way of renewing my mind. Yes, with scripture, but also the truth about my circumstances. I don't have to believe the fear. That's true. Here's where I would disagree uh, and differ a little bit with the self-help. Self-help is of some use, but it's not of ultimate use. Our emotions are not completely under our control nor are they completely controllable, whereas they are able to be discipled. In other words, the Holy Spirit really will work inside us, not to just control our emotions, but to begin to change what we feel. And God does that over time. But if we'll cooperate with the Spirit, there really is 
power inside of us. And it's the power not only to carry us through any circumstance, it's the power to comfort us, comfort our anxious thoughts while we're going through those circumstances. One other thing that you've talked about too is just the importance of discipling our emotions as leaders. And so not only those small, ordinary moments when we're visiting with a friend or, you know, responding Mm -hmm. to an email at work, it's important practice that they are just so we're ready for those bigger moments and those places that we serve in a leading role, whether it's school or work or church or families or whatever it may be. And so you've had lots of experience with lead. Curious to kind of learn from your experience. Why is it important as leaders to steward our emotions well? Great question. I learned probably the hard way. Most of my lessons have been learned the hard way through my executive career. And I say this this way. Leaders do not have the luxury of indulging their negative emotions. Now, here, what I'm I'm not saying is you will have negative emotions, and that is normal. Mm -hmm. But you no longer, when you're in a leadership role, you don't have the luxury to indulge them. I recognized one day early on, I would walk out of my office and I'd be, I'm a real type A, kind of like you. I'm always working on a problem. I'm working my list. And my facial expression would usually be kind of dark. And I'm thinking about a problem, solving a problem as I'm going. And it became clear to me after a while that that organization there, uh, we had a big team meeting and I kind of kind of heard what they were thinking. They thought that the company wasn't doing very well. And I thought, why do you think that? We're just killing it here. You guys are doing a great job and we're on top of it. Well, the reason they thought it wasn't doing very well is they never saw me with a smile on my face. And so I realized, you know what? There's nothing wrong with my solving problems. That's what I get paid to do. But I need to control the way my face looks because they're going to take their cues from that. And then, so that was a real eye-opener for me that naturally they saw me looking serious all the time and they translated that into things aren't going very well. Well, you can even get beyond that. If you're a boss that's prone to expressing your frustrations or your anger or snapping at people, you simply, I'm not saying that, that you have to be a better person than anyone else. Because of your position, you just don't have the luxury of expressing that because it affects so many people. And that's true, for example, I'm sure you've realized that in your job, you work with different groups of people and they're gonna take their cues from how Candace is your mood or your expression or you're even keeled, you know, whether you're you know, crazy excited or you're just crazy angry or what, I'm sure you've experienced the same thing is you simply don't have the luxury of expressing those emotions sometimes. Right. And even just to the word indulging, that is, oh, that's so good for me because it it is an indulgence to sit in your emotions. And it's not wrong. It's not wrong to have these emotions, but it's an indulgence to sit into. And so, oh, goodness, I love that. Well, that's why people have dogs and cats, Candace, is you go home and you just tell your dog or cat everything about that's wrong with this day. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not at work. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I need to get a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Before we go, I ask this at the end of every episode. I'm on this journey of just getting out of my comfort zone more. And I'm using YouTube to help hold me accountable. So I have a channel called Let's Try That. And so I just try fun things um, just for the fun of it. And so I'm curious, is there something that you've done either recently, whether you failed or succeeded at it, doesn't matter, or that you plan to do just for the fun of it? That's a great question. One of the things we've done 
when I was raising kids and I don't do it as well right now, but we would take up something new every year. So one year bought an old guitar, all the kids learned, we all learned how to play guitar. Uh, They're way better than I am now. And we learned to fly fish together. And we learned, we did camping together. We did things like that, that you are very wise because that keeps you vital and it keeps you young in a sense. I mean, it just keeps you adventurous a little bit. You know, I would, that's a hard question for me because I've gotten so into the routine lately, but for me in the life of the mind, uh, that's more where my adventurism comes. I'm wired that way. I am reading way more poetry than I ever have in my life as a way to expand that side of me. So physically, I just do my running and cycling and nothing too exciting there. I would do yoga, but my wife embarrasses me. She's so good at it. I just can't go to yoga with her. But in, in my mind, I find I'm reading a little more fiction and a lot more poetry. And so it's a way of sort of expanding my mind. That's really cool. That's inspiring. I don't read very much poetry either. So that's cool to think of it in your mind, too, how you can try new things in that right. way. Right. Exactly. That. Well, everyone, let's choose to do more than just agree with Terry. You know, let's put this mustard seed of faith that we've gained today into action. Jesus didn't just ask for his disciples to merely agree with him. He was inviting them to participate with him. And so let's join in. Think of someone in your life who's maybe feeling overwhelmed and anxious, and let's share with them what you've learned today. And Terry, thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to have to talk again soon. So this is so fun. Thank you. Let's find strength in scripture as we learn to discipline our emotions and joy as our relationships, both personal and professional, flourish as a result. Let's find peace from our anxious thoughts as we intentionally remind ourselves of truth and rest as we grow by grace more into the likeness of Jesus. The good life, well, it starts with a good day, then another, then another. Let's choose to live the good day, one day at a time.